Hi, this is Ken Clark, minister of the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. This podcast is one of a series created in answer to the challenge of how we might continue to worship during the shutdown associated with the presence of the coronavirus in so many places here and around the globe. The services will be posted weekly on our website and as a podcast entitled A Walk to Clio Hall on Spotify and other podcast apps. We're still getting organized, but after this week, expect these services to be posted by Sunday to coincide more exactly with our worship schedule. This service took place on March 22, 2020. The organist is Jean Marie Callahan, and the preacher is Ken Clark. Enjoy. Good morning and welcome to the Old First Church here in Bennington, Vermont. This is March 22nd, 2020, and we thank you for being with us to listen and be part of our service today. Our opening words, let us worship God, O God be with us in this time. Let hope and love lead us, be our strength and guide in all seasons. Our first hymn this morning is Sleepers Wake, A Voice Astounds Us.
Join me, if you will, in saying together the opening prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If we confess our faults, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. lesson is taken from first book of Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. 
Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Here ends the first lesson. Our hymn is My Shepherd Will Supply My Need.
The second lesson is from Matthew in the fourth chapter, verses 12 through 17. Now when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Here ends the second lesson. I see the sermon is titled today, A Desolate Place, and that is true. We're here in the church uh, with no one else except Jean Marie Callahan and myself, the organist and I, and the rest of the church is empty. And this March 22nd, 2020, uh, most people are at home making a lot of the world look like a desolate place in terms of the number of people moving around. It's also a desolate place based upon the things that we have to deal with in these days. But we're coping, we're making accommodations, we're doing as best we can. This is, of course, part of the time of Lent. It's a time of giving up. Protestants, for the most part, especially in the Puritan tradition, don't really recognize Lent as such, but it has come into our vernacular and part of our life as Lent is a time of giving something up. Who knew that we would be giving up church? But you're listening now, and that means that you haven't given up that for Lent. So I thank you very much for being part of this service today and, and being with us. But we have given up so much in the last few weeks as I look around an empty meeting house. Uh, I've given up being able to look upon my friends and those who form this community and a circle of love and caring. And yet we are still connected, and we're not going to give that up for a very, very long time. But we have given up many things in this period of time. And so this is one way that perhaps we can stay connected. I know for those in New England, that you've given up Tom Brady. And this is terrible news. Grief-inducing, perhaps. And that's what my sermon is on today. It's really titled Good Grief. And we're going to talk a little bit about feelings of grief because we've given up things, not Tom Brady. We've given up so much of our normal life. Some of us have given up paychecks. Some of us have given up jobs. Some of us have given up going outside. A few of us perhaps have given up hope. Not a good thing. And so when one is giving up things, there is this natural accompaniment of loss and grief. And that's what I want to take a few minutes today to talk about. But first with our readings, our first reading today from Samuel, 1 Samuel, is describing the choosing of King David, and it's the appointed lectionary reading for the day. The second reading is not in the lectionary this week in a 
congregational church, we have freedom to follow the lectionary or not follow the lectionary. Uh, the reading this morning was to be from the uh, Gospel of John, but I wanted to follow this idea, which is found in the book of Samuel. And it started out with that very first verse, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? So I wanted to fill that out and turn to the New Testament and I, in the book of Matthew, looking at the section in Matthew 4, Jesus, when he leaves to go to Galilee, after hearing that John the Baptist has been arrested, Jesus leaves Nazareth. That sense of Jesus knowing that John had been arrested, feeling perhaps some loss. This was the person who baptized him. This was the person who was preaching of a kingdom. And suddenly, early in Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist is apprehended and taken away. And so what does Jesus do? In this case, he withdraws. We all know that the whole series of Lent is a period of Jesus withdrawing, going away, being by himself. The important difference with our story here is that Jesus, of course, is away for 40 days. The question for us is, how long will this period of being away from our normal routines last? We don't know. It's not found in the Bible. It's found in the story of our lives and times which we are living out, with which we journey with God every day. And so we're writing our own story of faith here, going forward as time allows. The Old Testament, just to give a little bit of background, we hear these words about Samuel and Saul and, and what's going on here, and we sometimes forget uh, some of the background uh, to this story. Saul was anointed king of Israel and Samuel was the prophet. Samuel and Saul had all these adventures and some great tension at times. Saul ultimately ended up uh, dead it is said he fell on his sword to avoid capture by the Philistines at Mount Geboa in a battle with the Philistines. Saul, by that phrase, falling on his sword, is usually interpreted as committed suicide. There are two ways, or two accounts of Saul's death. One, and they're a little bit in con conflict, one is that Saul asked his armor bearer uh, to kill him at the end as the battle was going badly and the armor bearer refused and so Saul fell on his own sword. And the second account has someone coming upon Saul uh, leaning on a spear, su suggesting that he already had fallen and so this person uh, reported to others that uh, he, uh, he delivered the coup de grace and, um, and, and killed Saul to put him out of that misery. For that report, just so you know, uh, the person who carried that report was then accused of uh, murdering Saul and himself put to death, which shows you that we are indeed in ancient times. So that's who Saul is, somebody who um, is not finally favored by God. At one point, Samuel asks, Saul to destroy an enemy, to utterly destroy them, meaning to kill them all. And Saul spares, he kills everybody, men, women, and children, and 
all the livestock that were not of very much value. But Saul spared the king and the best livestock, which is not what Samuel had asked him to do. And for that and other reasons, Saul was less favored. And it came to be that the Lord would raise up David to succeed King Saul. So that's a little bit of the story behind the story of how this came about, this section where the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? The point here is the news that Saul is not going to be the mighty one in the way that Samuel had hoped, that there's going to be a new king. David will be raised up and supplant Saul at some point in the future. So Samuel is grieving. Samuel is grieving a loss of someone he has been with for a long time. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. That withdrawal to Galilee, that leaving familiar scenes, is not the 40 days, but that withdrawal to Galilee is that point of time in which Jesus perhaps wants a change, wants to go in a different direction. The question is there, was Jesus grieving? We all grieve. And I think now we are at a time in our life as a people that we have lost so much and we have withdrawn to our own places. And what happens when one loses something, a way of life, a way of doing things, a routine, loses something perhaps more important, people who might lose friends, people who are dealing with loss of income, loss of purpose, loss of friendships, all these things conspire together and create for us a situation where we are talking about the question of grief. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is a name that is familiar to many. She was a psychiatrist and she wrote a famous book on death and dying in which she outlined five stages of grief. Kubler-Ross initially spoke on this subject when she was able to give the Ingersoll Lectureship at Harvard University on the subject of immortality. The Ingersoll Lectures are lectures which were established in 1893. Susan Ingersoll, who wanted to honor her father by having a lecture published every year on the subject of immortality. One would think that that would be a subject that would endure forever. It's been interesting since 1893 how that subject of immortality has probably, for the speakers, been more and more challenging through the years. Ingersoll in 1893 probably thought it was a safe bet. What do we think today? At any rate, the Ingersoll lectures have been given and are still given. Initially, they were published uh, by Houghton Mifflin and then the Harvard University Press, and now they're published by the Harvard Divinity Bulletin of the Harvard Divinity School. And so if you have finished all the binge-watching of Netflix that you can possibly endure, if you've run out of all kinds of recipes to try on your housemate, if you've done everything possible and can think of nothing better, here's a challenge. Start with the 1893 Ingersoll Lectureship on Immortality and work your way through and then report to me on your results, because I sure haven't done it. But it's an interesting thing. It includes lectures by uh, Josiah Royce and William James and moves us up through the years, an interesting list of people and writers. At any rate, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross gave the Ingersoll Lecture 
on death and dying. And in that lecture, she outlined five stages of grief. And she was speaking particularly in the context of death and dying, which was her field. And so she was talking about this as prior to death or stages of grief experienced by people who have lost someone they love. But we all know, or it seems to me to have been the fact, that through the years you can apply these stages to any loss that people experience. Anytime things are difficult and people lose something they love, we go through a process of grieving. Although her schematic here is not accepted by everyone as scientific fact, these are helpful categories for us to get our minds around this topic. It's important to think about to understand what we're going through. Sometimes being able to name a feeling, to name a sensation, helps us understand and better cope with what we have before us. And so the five stages of grief, what are they? Denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. So those are the five stages. And you can see immediately if you think about something you've lost, something terrible that's happened that you're grieving about, these stages are quite applicable. Denial, no, this can't be happening. Anger, why is, why is this happening? What's happening? Did you do this? Why did you do this? Depression, I'm overwhelmed. Bargaining, well, if I do this, if I just do this process, everything will be all right. And finally, acceptance. Now, as Kubler-Ross outlines these Stages And like everything in this day and age, we like to think of prescriptions, right? Well, we're going to move through these stages, and you, success, you successfully negotiate all these stages, and you'll be fine. That's not what she's talking about. That's not how it works. These stages are simply realities in the process of grieving. They don't come in order. You don't necessarily work through them. And that final stage of acceptance even does not make you immune from the other feelings, which come back from time to time and you have to deal with over time. The first item she identifies is denial. The fact that this can't be happening. Denial can be a process of avoidance. It can be confusion over not knowing what's going on. Denial can be elation. I want to go to Fort Lauderdale. I want to be on the beach. I want to go to that party this weekend. Denial can be shock. It's that state of being shocked. Avoidance, confusion, elation, and shock. Elements of denial which first greet us when anything, any great loss comes upon us. Anger, frustration, irritation, anxiety. These things we might be quite familiar with if you're spending several weeks with people you love. After a while, maybe over the smallest thing possible, there's a point where everything snaps and there's anger. Why is that? Not because of what someone said or did, not because of some great thing or flaw in a person. Anger because we are grieving something, unnamed and unnameable. We have lost something and we're angry. The person we are angry at is not the problem. The anger is a symptom of a grief deeply held. 
Next is depression. Depression is in various ways that feeling of being overwhelmed or helpless. Depression may be a feeling of hostility or a wanting to flee from something. All these senses being depressed in a situation. Some of that wanting to flee and get away. As I was coming over here this morning, I came over Route 9, there's much less traffic on the road. Happily, I saw lots of trucks hauling goods and supplies. What a comforting thing to see. But also on the way over, just over at Hogback, you perhaps know where that area is, Hogback Mountain on Route 9, just at the crest, I saw a big pickup truck with an even bigger fifth-wheel trailer, motorhome-type thing behind it coming over the hill. And I looked at it, looked at the plates, and they were from Texas. So I hope they have a good story about why they're doing this. I can't imagine why somebody is towing a motorhome someplace at this point, going who knows where. Where do they think they have to flee to? Where do they think they're going? I don't know. Sometimes, however, people get depressed and they say, I just have to get out of here. Let me out of here. Depression. Bargaining. Bargaining is that struggling, perhaps, and you bargain, you struggle to find some meaning about this. Well, surely this has to, something good was going to come with this or something, something's going to result that's, you know, if, if we can only do this or, or do that. Bargaining might be, well, there's going to be a drug next week or there's going to be something, there's going to be enough, we're going to do it. Bargaining. Reaching out to others, a way of us establishing our good faith, that we're doing something good and right, and so it's not going to be so bad. Telling our story. Well, I'm going to make some good out of this. I'm going to tell the story of how I overcame this or how I'm dealing with this or what I'm doing. I suppose right now you can argue this sermon is a way of my bargaining with the situation and dealing with my grief, being able to talk and share with others how I feel. I'm happy to have the opportunity today to be speaking this way to the entire congregation. You don't have the opportunity right yet to speak back, but you can tell your story to somebody, and that may help. And finally, acceptance. Acceptance is that stage of exploring options, putting a new plan in place, finally moving on. And as I've said, that final stage, that sense of um, acceptance, doesn't put it all in a box send it up to the attic where it's never seen again. Acceptance means that you can move on, but you're not going to be moving on unchanged. You're going to be marked by what you've gone through, by the grief you've shared, by all those experiences you've had, the denial, the anger, the depression, the bargaining, the loss, the totality. And yet it's tied up in, in, in acceptance, which is exploring options, knowing that there will be a dawn, putting a plan in place, saying, this is how it is going to be going forward. This is what I'm going to change. This is what I've learned. I suspect we'll be doing a lot of this. I suspect we already are. And moving on is that point of not being paralyzed by fear. Moving on is that point of not being taken and held by grief forever in a grip that will never let go. But taking that grief with you and taking that loss with you to a new place, in a new way, with a new dream that will put that grief in perspective and put all that we've been through 
in a new light. In some ways, that's both the story in Samuel and the Gospel of Matthew today. Not only the grief that is suffered or the withdrawal that Jesus makes, but the fact that this is all geared to a new stage, a different stage, and a new chapter. Something new will come, something bright will come. It's a good thing that we are here at this point. It's ironic with spring about to come and us not celebrating the arrival of sunlight and good weather, but we know that springs do come, that the land turns green again, that hope rises, that our faith is such that there is another chapter and another stage for us and for all people. It's the news that we can bear grief, we can understand grief, we can fall victim to being paralyzed by it, being terrorized by it. But my point in speaking today of these five stages in Kubler-Ross's schematic is to help us understand where we are and some things we're feeling. My faithful point to you is, no matter where we are, there is another stage. That acceptance doesn't mean this all goes away, but acceptance means that we will move on. There will be a new stage, a new day, and good things to come. Amen. Our hymn is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound.
Hello and welcome to the Old First Church here in Bennington, Vermont on March 22nd, 2020. It's a bright day, the sun is out, a little bit cold, um, and obviously speaking in an empty church, but hopefully uh, we're being heard by people in some place and this is of some use to you. The, um, the hymns, which you don't, you normally in our service we, we give uh, little descriptions of, of the particular hymn. The first hymn sung this morning by Jean Marie Callahan, our organist, who I do thank for being here today. It's just she and I in this building. We're more than six feet apart. But the first hymn, the description underneath describes it as the King of Chorales, of course, by uh, Bach, was written by Philip Nikolai while in Una in Westphalia around 1596 to 1598. It was composed during a time of widespread disease when thousands were dying. Nikolai wrote in the preface, to leave behind me if God should call me from this world as a token of my peaceful, joyful Christian departure, or if God should spare me in health to comfort other sufferers with whom he should also visit with the pestilence. That's not the only hymn written in such times. Now, thank we all our God, I believe, has a similar backstory to it. And um, we begin to see in those two instances how important music is, how important the spirit is, and tending to the things of the spirit uh, in times that we find uh, particularly difficult. I don't have a lot of other announcements here at the church this morning, except to say almost everything is closed down. So I would suggest if you're hearing this, you've discovered us either on our church webpage, uh, org, or perhaps you've uh, come through us by Spotify as a podcast. The podcast series is entitled A Walk to Clio Hall. That's Clio Hall, C-L-I-O-H-A-L-L. Someday, perhaps in some historic sermon, I will explain what that's all about. Uh, I'm sure some Bennington people know exactly what it's about. But at any rate, that's the podcast which you should be able to find. And again, we hope to do this for each Sunday as long as we're not meeting as a uh, church in public worship. We hope to produce these uh, Sunday morning services for you to, to share. And that's the final thing. If you find at all useful these words and this worship service, you can send it on to a friend. There's a way right on the app, if you're on Spotify, to share it. And there are other ways to share this material. And give it to friends who aren't even church members. Easily done. Anyway, the, the last thing I have to say is call for the morning offering at this point for the work of the church. Now, obviously there's no one here for the morning offering. And that is a problem if you begin to think about it, like many people are dealing with. Barbers, hairdressers, restaurant owners, people who are employed in areas where they can't work. The money's not coming through. So for the morning offering today, think about the church. Think about what we do here. Think if you're a church member about your pledge, if you're listening to this service, Think about the fact that we were so extravagant as to turn the heat on this morning. It is 30 degrees out. There's a lot to go on even when the church isn't in worship. So in a few days, there will be a place on our website 
where you can contribute through PayPal. PayPal has an option where you can use your own credit card, so there's no need to have a PayPal account, but you can contribute that way. If you're a church member and you have the address or have the information you need, simply drop a check in the mail and keep up the financial support of the church. The offering is about our gratitude to God and our sense of obligation to one another in the spiritual realm, the morning offering. Give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be, all that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, be with us this day, wherever we may be, whatever we may be doing, let us join in prayer and let us remember with thanks the life that we have, 
the opportunities that we have before us and the challenges that await. We remember with thanks this day all those who work and serve tirelessly, those who are serving in health professions, caring, searching, discovering. We remember those who still work in stores, in food supply, our public servants, those who keep the roads, those who keep phone lines and the lights, all these manner of things that we use day to day, and those people who are keeping them working, we send our prayers, hold them in our hearts. We remember today, most especially, those who have fallen ill, and those who are suffering. We remember those who have died here near us or far, far away, our hearts full of grief for these losses. And so make our love known and guide us through these days with patience for one another, for what burdens we bear, for the grief that we share. Bear with us as we find ourselves at different points in this journey. Keep us strong. We pray for the health of all this day who are listening. We pray for the courage to act wisely, the courage to bear through difficult times, and the vision and hope to see a new and better day. These things will come, and so abide with us, O Lord, through these days that we may see that dawn and rejoice in the fullness of life as you intend. Now in silence, we make our prayer to you. Amen. And as Jesus taught us, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn this day is Here I Am, Lord.
now may God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and give us peace this day and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Usually we have a coffee hour after our service. Treat yourself and those you love kindly in the hours ahead. Check in again next week, and in the meantime, be well. Permission to podcast and stream the service and the music generated is under the license number 3009679 from CCLI with all other creative rights reserved.